Welcome to Talking History with Farnham U3A History Group. In this talk, Timothy Davis reviews the advances in sanitation in Victorian times from the viewpoint of his great-great-grandfather, George Jennings. Part B. In 1836, he married Mary Ann Coates Gill. They had four children. Ambrose, Catherine, Alice, who had three children herself, and Lucy. There is not much information about any of those children. In 1837, a company was established in Paris Street in Lambeth, and Jennings virtually was single-handed at this stage. In 1838, business was picking up. He'd received a small legacy from one of his aunts, and he moved to 29 Charlotte Street off the Blackfriars Road. It was then that his self-reliance, perseverance, and remarkable industry laid the foundation of his future success, according to an article written about him later. In 1844, Mary died aged 31. And in 1847, he achieved his first patent on improvements to valve closets and improved joints and connections between two pipes. Prince Albert presented the Medal of the Society of Arts for his India rubber tube taps and tubes for water supply. And that was when he became a favourite of Prince Albert, which is probably why he was selected to plumb the Great Exhibition. Prince Albert's encouragement was a stimulus to George Jennings, and his business grew. As I said, he was consulted on the sanitary works for the Great Exhibition, ex executed the requirements, and then awarded a medal and a testimonial for his sanitary apparatus. The move to Sydenham required his staff to work night and day to actually get the facilities installed in time for the opening at the Crystal Palace. In 1852, he had a patent for improvements to valve water closets and improved joints and connections for two pipes. The pan and trap in this patent were made as one piece with water always being retained in the pan and therefore providing a necessary seal. The patent was at least a decade before any of his competitors and therefore gave him a great advantage. In 1854, Brunel and Sidney Herbert, Sidney Herbert was a later Minister of War, asked Jennings to construct the sanitary facilities at Scutari and Varna hospitals during the Crimean War. The facilities were constructed by his own men, a feature that was important in the company's success. They would always, if asked, provide the people from their own staff to fit the required equipment and in 1854 patented the first siphonic toilet. 1854, another patent for stoneware drain pipes with improved connections. Now, that provided a problem. He couldn't find people who had access to the right clay and large enough facilities to make the number of pipes that were required. So he purchased clay beds at Parkston in Dorset, set up a factory there, and the manufacture of clay pipes and other clay items began in 1856. It was one of the first potteries in the pool area. 
1857, they needed to move to larger premises at Holland Street in Blackfriars. And in the same year, they constructed the waterworks at Wilton in Wiltshire, as well as supplying materials for Grantham and other towns across Britain. In 1858, he married 16-year-old Sophia Budd, and they had 11 children. There was George, there was Sophia, there was Alfred, there was Sidney, there was Fred, there was Walter, there was Mary, there was Percy, Ethel, Florence, Bertie, and Mabel. Quite a large family. In 1860, patented the tip-up basin. This was actually very, very popular. They were popular particularly in public places. I presume because they were relatively easy to make. There wasn't much wear and tear apart from the rotating bit. Hotels, clubs, public buildings and private residences. But do you need three basins in your bathroom side by side? The Parkston Pottery became the second major site for the business. So by this stage, he controlled not only the metal and wood goods part of sanitary engineering, but also the earthenware part of sanitary engineering, which was well ahead of his competitors. In 1863, another patent for molding rubber, and this was for valves, but also seals for jars and things like that, so you could preserve food. Spring of 1865, disaster. The works at that stage were on the site of where St. Thomas's Hospital is today, and they knew they were going to have to move to enable St. Thomas's Hospital to be built. And so they let the insurance lapse, and there was a fire. The whole works was destroyed. Cost a large amount of money. Now, it is said in the family, and this is probably a scurrilous rumour, and story that the fire was set by a man who used to be a foreman at the works but had left to set it up his own company. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea, and I'm sure there's no one around today who can tell us. Undaunted, even given fresh impetus, he took larger premises opposite those destroyed. Exhibitions and events. We had the Great Exhibition, but there was another one in 1862 in London, in 1865 in Dublin, in 1867 in Paris, in 1872 he was entrusted with providing the facilities for the people attending the Thanksgiving at St Paul's because the Prince of Wales had recovered from some dire disease. In 1873, Vienna... This included five miles of pipeworks and 600 toilet appliances, and he received a Medal of Progress. In 1875, he was in Paris again. In 1876, at the Centennial Exhibition in Philadelphia, and also smaller exhibitions such as Sydney in 1879, Melbourne in 1880, and Adelaide in 1881. You wonder whether he left the team that did the exhibitions in Australia for the period, given the time it took to get to and from Australia. The public convenience. By 1858, he was crusading for the provision of conveniences suited to this advanced stage of civilization. In place of the plague spots that are offensive to the eye and a reproach to the metropolis, he proposed halting stations. Another euphemism. Many to be built underground with the wall space covered with railway timetables and lists of cab fares. <laughs> he offered to supply and fix the appliances at no cost, together with a respectable attendant for each one, capable of answering a question. 
if he were allowed to charge a small fee. The attendant would give each seat a rub over with a damp leather after use, hand out a clean towel comb and brush to those who required them. Following a rebuff from one authority who didn't see any need, he wrote, My offer, I blush to record it, was declined by gentlemen, influenced by English delicacy of feeling, who preferred that the daughters and wives of Englishmen should encounter at every corner sights so disgusting in every sense. And rather than permit the construction of that shelter and privacy now common in every city of the world, I could give you particulars as to the opposition I've had to encounter from individuals who, if measured by their obstructive policy, one would suppose have never acquired any convenience of any kind. Harsh words. I'm surprised he actually ever got a contract to build a convenience after that. There we see an overground convenience in Bournemouth for ladies and an underground one built in Marylebone. These were quite large constructions, quite ornate in their way. In 1872, he built a residence in Nightingale Lane in Clapham called Ferndale, where he lived for the rest of his life. That is a drawing of the front. I actually think the tower didn't look quite like that in reality. It's from a very old postcard, and that was the rear. He died on the 17th of April, 1882, so he lived there for 10 years. The report in the South of London press said, it is with feelings of regret, which will be joined in by all who knew him, that we have this week to record the death of Mr. George Jennings, universally known as the celebrated engineer of Palace Wharf, Lambeth. What had happened was he and his son were coming back from work and his horse shied whilst crossing Albert Bridge. No, Albert Bridge. The previous Thursday. So they were thrown out of the trap they were in and hit a dust cart. His son was unhurt or shaken but not damaged, but he broke his collarbone. And making a good recovery from a fractured collarbone, he insisted on getting up on the Sunday. Congestion set in and he expired around 6 p.m. on the Monday. I use the word expired because that's what the newspaper said. His funeral was on the 23rd of April, 1882, and he's buried at the cemetery in West Norwood. The estate was valued at 76721 which I think is quite a lot of money. Now, the firm prospered under his sons, and in 1887, the company employed over a 1,000 people. Each workshop, according to an, an article written, was filled with skilled artisans using, using the most modern equipment. And that's a line drawing of the factory, the Smith's shop, the joiner's shop, so there were seats, the cabinet maker's shop, the engineer's shop, and finally the marble polisher's shop. In addition, the company employed plumbers, hot water fitters, pipe layers, they also had bricklayers and various other trades, because as I said earlier, they were very willing to carry out projects themselves. That's a picture of the Southwestern Pottery and Terracotta Works, which produced pipes, bricks, chimney pots, and many other items. So again, as you can see, quite a large facility. That's a map of the works, and as you can see, there were quite a number of clay pits. 
and two railway lines, one a two-foot gauge, narrow gauge, and one standard gauge, which was used to collect coal from Harkston Station and take items to be distributed by rail across the country and across the world. It was a large works, as I say, two railways. There is, I only found this last week, an 040 saddle tank engine built in Bristol called George Jennings. The narrow gauge used an ex-Western front petrol-driven engine, and there were three 040 saddle tank engines built by Peckett and Sons. The last one was built in 1902. George Jennings was always maintained in immaculate order, a light green with highly polished brass dome. In fact, Parkston Model Railway Society have photographs of a Hornby 040 saddle tank of that style, painted green with the name George Jennings on it. Unfortunately, George Jennings has not survived. When the pottery closed in 1962, it was bought by a local smallholder, and he had the intention of running it on a short length of track on his smallholding. However, the winter of 62-63 proved fatal for both the loco and the smallholder. The boiler wasn't drained and froze, and the smallholder died. You can tell that this was not a popular purchase in the house, however, because his widow arranged for the loco to be taken away by a local scrap dealer called Charles Trent, with the instruction to cut it into pieces that would fit through a letterbox. <laughs> and I love trains, particularly steam trains. The work's plate is in Pool Museum. So that's a drawing of a typical pedestal washdown closet of the type that would have been common made by companies such as George Jennings. And in 1884, such a closet won the London International Health Exhibition Gold Medal Award. In test, a two-gallon flush washed down ten apples of an average of one and a quarter inches in diameter. One flat sponge, four and a half inches in diameter. The actual bowl had been coated with plumber's smudge, whatever that is, I assume it's some sooty item, on the pan and four pieces of paper stuck to the soiled plumber's smudge. So it was quite effective. By 1895, the catalogue listed 36 towns with their public conveniences, including Paris, Florence, Berlin, Sydney, South America, and the Far East. And equipment was provided to 36 rail companies in the UK, the Americas, Argentina, Mexico, and South Africa. And there you see an example of a piece of Jennings equipment on a train. This is a photograph of Edward VII's urinal at Wolferton Royal Station on the Sandringham Estate, built by the Great Eastern Railway and equipped by George Jennings Limited. The motif was specially done for all the facilities and is the flags of the nations. Apparently, it is recorded that every crowned head of Europe at the time used those facilities. The station master kept a ledger. Maybe he was charging a penny. <laughs> the basin is in the club pattern with special decoration. We come to the closet of the century. Now note, the closet of the century has two water seals, one in the closet and one further down in the pipework. And siphonic toilets were very popular, particularly in the 1950s, 1960s, 70s, are known for the fact that they flush extremely well. And it was the best-known British siphonic closet. 
It won the Grand Prix in Paris in 1900. And there's a photograph of an unpatterned one, complete with whatever the valve plunger is, which I don't have. Walter Jennings, the sixth child of George and Sophia, gave a lecture on the 22nd of November 1907 where he compared the advantages of siphonic versus washdown toilets. Note you can buy or could buy a reprint of the lecture for sixpence. In his introduction, he compares the soldier who kills and wounds people to the physician or the medical practitioner who heals people to the sanitary engineer who, how noble is the sanitary engineer whose life is spent in the extinction of those causes from which most, if not all, diseases arise. Bold stuff. Where would we be without sanitary engineers? In 1901, the company became limited, and that's a photograph of the front of the temporary, no word temporary, catalogue from January 1902, which is about that thick, and there's a copy over there. It has an amazing selection of sanitary wear, plus the sanitary wear, there are many other items, hospital specialities, mortuary tables, for example, manhole covers, water level indicators for waterworks, stoneware pipes, chimneys, etc. a deep cleansing shower. I mean... We're used to something coming from above, and trendy people have things that come from the side, but uh, the one from below, as Heineken would say, cleans the parts other showers cannot reach. Note, it is patented. This is the temporary catalogue, has these colour plates in it. The thing that looks gold is gold. It glistens in the catalogue. These are better baths than the ones from 60, 70 years before where people had metal baths with gas rings underneath them to heat up the water. Public works, so that's the tip-up basins in use at the Royal Naval School at Greenwich. This is for your butler's pantry. Some of the chimney pots they used to make, terracotta from the works at Parkston. And in fact, there is on the internet, on Flickr, photographs from a catalogue from the terracotta works, amazing stuff they did, showing you terraces of houses and things like that decorated with the terracotta. Their improved patent drain pipes. Now, the guy laying the pipe, I think, bears an uncanny resemblance to the night soil man. Maybe he was a direct descendant. Here's a list of their major customers. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Clubs, banks, admiralty offices, hotels, restaurants, theatres, railway terminal and principal stations, infirmaries, asylums, educational, journalistic, commercial. He was responsible for the first 500 toilets in the grandest hotel in San Francisco. There is a crest, you need a magnifying glass, but it actually shows all the places where they won medals at exhibitions. That one still works. It's in the Science Museum in its own cabinet. Advertising, 1907. Those were the types of things and the type of advertising that you saw. By 1927, we'd got a bit racier. And by 1939, wait till you see our bathroom. 1967. It all came to an end.
The company or the rights to the company, certainly the selling of the sanitary ware, the goodwill had been sold off about 10 years before to a person who basically didn't keep books and things like that, was really doing a spare parts service. But it all came to an end in 1967. Why am I interested in this? Well, George Jennings' son, Walter, who married Nellie Swears, that's Nellie Swears, whose father was the Swears of Swears and Wells, who were the world's largest furriers, had a number of children, three of them, George, who died in infancy, Walter, and Nellie, Eleanor Alice, who was born in November 1889 and died on the 9th of May 1967. She married Herbert Reese Davis in July 1914. Now, their wedding invitations, which were printed in silver, were rather nice because they told you where the wedding was and you got an invite, and they suggested the trains you should get from Waterloo to Kingston. So you would arrive in time for the ceremony at 2 o'clock. And they told you that the train to catch back was the 440. Not like weddings of today. They went off on honeymoon to Switzerland. And on the 3rd of August 1914, France was mobilizing. And they had to come home through France, unable to get accommodation, unable to get trains, very difficult to get food, and got back to Britain. So their honeymoon was cut short. The photograph is taken at their wedding. Somewhere, and unfortunately I, I can work out who a few of the people are, but somewhere one of the really old people will have been Sophia Jennings, the second wife of George Jennings, because she was still alive at the time and would have gone to a family wedding. Herbert Reese Davis had three children, Ivor, Gerald and Derek, and Gerald married Helen Crossland, and I'm the result. And that's sadly why I'm interested in all of this. The photographs of the steam engine came from a guy who put them on Flickr, and I contacted him and said, why the entrance? He said, well, I live in a house built of Jennings bricks. Down in the pool area, you will find Jennings Road and things like that, and southwestern pottery close. So it's still remembered in that part of the world. I hope you've enjoyed spending a penny. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A History Group, or the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. This podcast is produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A Group. Thank you for listening to this talk 